Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today is Andrew. How you doing, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've gotten through the first day of my New Year's resolution of eating healthier and jogging. So, you know, baby steps. Whenever somebody asks me what my New Year's resolution is, I'm just like, same old shit that I'm not going to do anyway. So it makes it makes it easier when you just like you are determined to the fact that you're never going to reach your goals. It makes it makes life a lot easier to go through. I do remember Tommy can't make it and uh, Artem's getting his car repaired, but I do remember talking with Tommy a week ago and I was like, I'm so fat. I got to focus on losing weight. And he's like, but why? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that question before. Everybody's always like, oh yeah, good for you for trying. No one's ever just been like, who cares? <laughs> don't lose weight. What are you doing with your life? That's kind of an interesting conundrum i guess like you know i would like to lose weight a because i'm getting married and you know you're supposed to be like thin and svelte and stuff when you get married you know plus there are some some health benefits to being in better shape but like then i look like my dad who's you know 60 something years old and just kind of does whatever he wants i mean he's he's in okay shape but you know i mean the man smokes drinks a couple of beers he doesn't give a damn he's like you know what i'm 60 something years old if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die and i'm like you know what that man's happy He's not worried about dieting. At the same time, he is 60, so I feel like he's kind of earned it at that point. Like, I don't know. Like, you store away enough in the 401k bank, eventually you're going to get there. You know, I tried to retire straight out of college. It just didn't work. You were almost there. You just didn't quite work out the financials of it. So, do you want to talk about college football, or do you want to keep talking about retirement? I mean, I can talk about college football, too. I would like to retire into a life where I can just go watch college football games for the rest of my life. But sadly, the spring is a thing, and it's just around the corner. So, I'm not looking forward to that. But hey, for the moment, we've still got some college football games. So, to start off, I think we... I wanted to have a more of a roundtable discussion, but since it's just you and me and I kind of know your perspective, let's talk about the college football playoff. There's a lot of people arguing about uh, expanding it because Georgia didn't get in, and now Georgia lost to Texas, so fuck you, Georgia. Um, I mean, they also they also got boat raced by LSU, and for some reason everyone seems to forget that that game happened. I'm kind of sad that their mascot didn't get mauled to death in that game. Kind of. I, I feel like that would have been bad for the children, but I, I would have been I would have been really happy had uh, Uga gone down in that matchup. But yeah, I mean, they're a three-loss team now. They lost to Bama, they lost to LSU, and they lost to Texas in what the score might make it seem close, but it was not a close game at all. But Logan... They, they totally lost because they didn't care to be there. Do you ever notice how whenever uh, an SEC team in a bowl game like that loses or in the case of Auburn last year gets kind of blown out, it's always this, oh, well, they didn't want to be there anyway. Wait, 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 wait. Am I allowed to say the Georgia Tech lost to Minnesota because we didn't want to be in Detroit? I mean, because we didn't. No, we're not, we're not an SEC team. Only SEC teams get to use that excuse. We just suck. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> 
I mean, you're not totally wrong either, <laughs> but yeah, I get where you're coming from. Oh no, it's it's so bad. It's so bad sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, do you want do you, do I need to give you a couple more seconds to rant about Georgia, or do you want to talk about this college football playoff situation? Because we are in an in, we're in an interesting situation in that. They're still talking – ESPN, at least, is still talking about expansion. But we just saw a season where the 3-4 I'm trying to get this right. 3-4-5, 7 8, and 9 ranked teams all lost their bowl games, which is pretty demeaning to everybody involved. Who was 6? Was that – who was 6? I don't even remember. Ohio now. State. Oh, right, right, right. Because they had to win it. They had to go and win one for the Gipper, Urban Meyer, before he retired. Uh, So, yeah, you're looking at that, and then at the same time you're talking about uh, we should expand the playoffs to eight teams. And then, sure enough, they'll probably talk about expanding out to 16 teams or whatever have you. Uh, I don't know. Andrew, what's your take on this playoff uh, discussion situation? So something that was really interesting, I was listening to on the radio coming home today, is the local guys up here in Raleigh said, you know, this year's a perfect example of maybe the BCS wasn't the worst thing on the planet, because this year, if we'd had the BCS, you would have gotten Clemson and Alabama, and no one would have been like, oh my god. You know, and so the 14 playoff this year kind of did its job, where if you had more than two undefeated major conference teams, they all had a shot. Because, you know, we all remember 2004 where Auburn got left out. And so this year's playoff kind of hit what you were looking for. You had your three undefeated teams that got a shot, and you had your other conference champion that got a shot. I'm actually pretty happy with the playoff as it is. I think it does what it needs to do. Now, if we ever get to a situation where you have, like, five major programs that are all undefeated, then maybe you should look at it. If we do expand, I think we should go to eight, and I think you should do – five spots that are automatic bids for p5 champions and that's actually apparently way more controversial than i thought it was from some places that i've read and then you do the highest ranked g5 and then two wild cards that the committee can pick whoever they want and obviously there would have to be some thought put into this as far as scheduling you know you'd have to work around finals for the students have to work around where you would play these games but i think the general consensus is an eight game playoff would be nice because you could get all five teams from the champion uh from the power five champions in there the problem is uh and kind of we saw this year who how many of those teams actually deserve to be in because i mean if you look at washington as an example they got manhandled by Ohio State. I guess you could argue they came back in uh, trash time, but I don't I, – they looked like they got, like, d- demolished overall. And, uh, obviously, Oklahoma fell out. Where does Notre Dame fall in that situation? You're you're getting all kind. – you're still working into all these different crazy arguments. Um, I don't even know that – honestly, Ohio State, looking at the back end of their year, probably looked like they deserved to be there more than Georgia, in my opinion. But I also hate Georgia, so there's that. Uh, and you did bring up an interesting point also. Uh, the FCS has a 24-team playoff, but at the same time, they also don't have bowl games. So that's a little bit different. 
And they also only play 11 regular season games. Well, I mean, technically, quote-unquote regular season games, that's exactly how many the uh, FBS plays. Or am I wrong? The FBS plays 12. Really? Wait, is yeah, that... Are you... Are you including five or six years ago? It became twelve because if you play, because you could hypothetically be fifteen, and actually, whoever wins will be fifteen and zero because they won their conference championship. They were undefeated twelve and zero, won the conference championship thirteen and zero, won the first round fourteen and zero, and will win the championship and be fifteen and zero. Oh yeah, you're right, huh? That's a crazy concept. Oh, and the the FTS is weird too because. Their layoff between the like the last round of the playoffs and their championship game, the championship game is actually being played this Saturday, but their semifinals were played on the 14th and 15th of December. So, I mean, you're looking at three-plus weeks almost between you know the semifinals and the final. Yeah, and then you also got that argument about if you're playing those that many matchups, you're going to be playing week after week after week after week. It really sets up better for teams like Alabama and like Clemson who have the talent to recharge, and not everybody has that talent level. If UCF had made it in in that cir- circumstance, they might have been able to get out of the first round theoretically, but then they would have had to play another team and just get dominated. Although I don't know. Uh, what did you think of UCF's performance real fast against LSU? Like, did they look like a team that could potentially challenge? Because I, I was... think they fought. I think they fought hard, given a backup quarterback, and given LSU's issues on defense between guys not playing, guys getting suspended, you know, guys hitting the wrong way. I mean, that game got chippy quick. I was surprised because they had a really good shot and they kind of took themselves out of it with all the really early penalties. Like, they were so – you're absolutely right. It got so chippy. They were basically getting in the face of all the LSU players and that's what kind of cost them the game in the first and second quarter was they let LSU keep getting first downs despite the stops and that just gave it away. Yeah. And I think you kind of hit something is one of the, th- the things, especially about Clemson and Bama, is just the depth and the, the talent that can come in behind that depth. And I think that's something you, you kind of hit on where if they have to play back-to-back weeks against these really, really good teams, you might run into those issues. You know, we saw, we saw depth issues in the Clemson-Notre Dame game. Notre Dame played all right for the first couple of series, but when they started losing defensive backs, you kind of you saw it go downhill quick. Yeah, honestly, that was a defensive battle. Um, And then especially in the second quarter where some defensive backs went down for Notre Dame if you weren't paying attention. And then I think a couple of lucky things went Clemson's way. That catch in the end zone at the last couple of seconds of the second quarter really cut into the heart of Notre Dame. Uh, For those who didn't see it, again, it was like a jump ball basically that bounced off the cornerback into the hands of the wide receiver. And uh, if you watched uh, Miami play Georgia Tech last year, that's just one of those where that'll break your back. That'll crush your spirit. Yeah, you can look at it too. The the fumble, I want to make sure that I get this timing right, but the fumble on the kick return that just happened to roll out of bounds. 
I actually don't remember that one. What what quarter was this in? It was the first quarter. Notre Dame Notre Dame kicks a field goal to tie it three to three. Kicks the ball off. You know, Clemson's returning it. The guy gets hit, fumbles it, and just kind of. It was actually a really interesting play because the Clemson guy looks like he almost bats it to keep it in bounds, which is a really dumb play on his part. But the ball caught the line enough that it was called out of bounds, and it was Clemson's ball. If not, no, it would have been first and ten on Clemson's thirteen for Notre Dame. I mean, if they punch that in, they're up ten to three, and it's probably a different game. It's certainly a much closer game. I mean, we're looking, and even with Oklahoma, I, I think had they figured things out in the first uh, first quarter, they probably would have been a closer game too. But yeah. I mean, you're looking at two talented teams, but you make the truth is Notre Dame just wasn't deep enough. And for Oklahoma, I guess it was, it seemed like they didn't come in prepared or their defense just wasn't there. I don't know. Take, take your their pick. Their defense really hasn't been there all year. I mean, they've been a team that have won games by just flat out, you know, and sound like John Madden, you know, they just scored more points than the other team. But. They're, they're a team that have won games by just flat out scoring their opponents. They, they were never a great defense, especially compared to a team like an Alabama or Clemson that have been really, really good defensively this year. Well, I think they realized that stacking the box wasn't going to work against Tua, and then even when they did stack the box and try to stop the run, Bama was still, like, leveling their players. It looked like It, oh. lo- it looked like a steamroller out there. I mean, Alabama does that to a lot of people. I mean, they've got such talent on the offensive line, and they're they're pretty well coached, and they know what they want to do. And then they've got really good running backs, and so, hey, <laughs> you know, good offensive line and good running backs make running the ball pretty. I mean, even look, you know, even looking at a loss, you know, Georgia Georgia against Texas. I mean, Georgia ran the ball pretty well most of the season, so you got to give a little credit to Texas for stepping up enough defensively to get kind of those stops. I thought I saw the stat that Georgia averaged like 7.5 yards per carry (laughs) during the season. Like that's insane. It's crazy to think about, but that does make me want to talk about really quick. Did you see that Iowa won their bowl game with like negative 17 rushing yards? (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty crazy. Especially given that, I mean, I'm not super surprised because we all knew that Mississippi state was really good defensively, but yeah, it's just one of those games. And I watched a little bit of that game. I kind of want to go back and check the the box score just to see what actually happened. <laughs> you know, like that. You know, looking at the stats. Yeah, Iowa, Iowa had 200 yards um, of total offense in that game. <laughs> that's, that's and it was awful. all it was all through the air, buddy. I mean, just to give you know listeners at home an idea, you know, it. it I can't. How much of that was sacks? And how much of that was them just being unable to run the ball? Because that's an insane – that's like running backwards for two first downs. Uh, Mississippi State had three sacks. Okay, so maybe it was all sacks and they just got nothing going on the run game. Oh, well. It's, it's kind of funny to looking at those stats. I, I don't know. Well, so, yeah, I mean, they – Torin Young had three carries for seven yards. Ivan Kelly Martin had five carries for no yards. The team had one carry for minus one yards. McKee Sargent had seven carries for minus three yards. And Nate Stanley had four carries for minus 18 yards. So, yeah, I think I think Sacks might have played a big role, which that's a whole other argument in and of itself as to why Sacks are considered as part of the rushing total in the college game. 
Yes, I know. You have a very intense feelings about that, if I recall correctly. Screw the NFL rules. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm still very impressed that they walked away winning that matchup. Because <laughs> Mississippi State is a pretty good defensive team, so I was surprised. I was also surprised Kentucky won their matchup. I mean, again, I, we were bashing the SEC earlier, but all due respect, uh, Kentucky is not a team you expect those kind of performances out of. No, but Kentucky's going to be really interesting, I think, next year because they were a team that built a lot of what they could do defensively and were a team that won a lot of games by being really good on defense and just giving the ball to Benny Snell. So it'll be interesting to see with Snell gone and then their all-everything linebacker, was it Josh Allen? I mean, he had three sacks, three – I mean, you know, I mean, the guy may, got a good chance of being a first-round pick. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year. A, when everyone expects them to be something, and then B, having lost such great talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not optimistic on their chance of beating Georgia. But, hey, you know. There's, about anybody. There's, there's a possibility. There's always a possibility. So back to the playoff discussion, though. You are 100% okay with keeping it as a four-team playoff you don't see any need for us to increase the uh, limit or uh, the number of teams getting in. I don't think so. I think it's kind of done its job. And you're okay with the way the committee voted and everything. I, frankly, I know I know my stance on it because Georgia didn't get in, and that's all I cared about. I, <laughs> do, I want you to play devil's advocate. If you were somehow a Georgia supporter – like, do you? What would the argument be for putting Georgia in? Just that, I mean, I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around. You just lost to Bama, and you want to get back in to play Bama immediately again. Because, because everyone knows in the SEC that a close loss to Alabama is pretty much a win. I mean, it's basically a win. Like, you should count it as a win. In fact, everyone should count close losses to Alabama as wins in the SEC. Because you remember, in the SEC, it just means more. I mean, if we're going by that standard, Texas A&M should have been in the fucking playoff because they had a close loss to Clemson and Alabama. And I know, right? But see, the the one against Clemson doesn't count because Clemson's not an SEC team. Oh. Quality losses only matter. In, in fact, if UCF wants to make the playoff, all they need to do is schedule Alabama and lose, <laughs> and they're in. They did it in basketball. I'm sure they can find a way to do it in football. They're... The Georgia argument falls apart in my mind because they got boat raced by LSU. And the close, Oklahoma had a close loss to Texas and then beat Texas in the championship game and won their conference. I am such a huge proponent of you need to win your conference to make the playoffs, which, I mean, last year kind of got blown out the window, but... To me, I don't feel – it's tough for me to say a team's the best team in the country if they're not the best team in their conference. Well, honestly, and without uh, trying to get too off the ro- rails with this, I do think the committee made the right decision putting Oklahoma in. It was the question – that was the big question. I mean, Notre Dame, you got to give it to them. They're undefeated. It is what it is, uh, regardless of your opinions on Notre Dame or how they performed. Uh, the thing that hurt Notre Dame this year, really, is Notre Dame's going to, under normal circumstances, 
play a good enough schedule that if they're undefeated, they shouldn't yet. The, the thing that I think hurt Notre Dame and that normal argument this year was the fact that Stanford wasn't very good. You know, USC wasn't very good. Florida State wasn't very good. You know, Virginia Tech wasn't very good. Navy wasn't very good. Uh, you know, the, the teams that you would rely on as, an, as a Notre Dame fan to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we play these good teams every year just weren't very good this year. Yeah. You know, the, their, best, their best win, probably Syracuse. <laughs> I would argue that their best win was probably Michigan at the beginning of the year. But, I mean, yeah, USC wasn't that great. And then they had a – they did defeat Syracuse. And Syracuse, give them credit where it's due. Syracuse has looked fantastic. I'm excited to see what they can do in the next coming upcoming years. That'll be a fun team to watch. That, that's my big thing is – we thought Michigan was that good because their only loss was to a Notre Dame team that we thought was good. And then we watched Michigan two game two games in a row just get absolutely slapped around. And so that's where I go, okay, was Michigan that good or did they just not play anybody? Because, I mean, you look at Syracuse's losses. Syracuse's losses are to Notre Dame and Clemson and then a pit team that won the Coastal. Now, we all know the Coastal was a dumpster fire this year. But that's – I mean, you know, your, your other good win for Notre Dame is what – Northwestern, who won the West with four losses? Uh, probably. I mean, gosh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one to decide. Ugh. Yeah, well, and like I said, I mean, this this schedule, most years where all of these teams are their normal level of good, would have been such a great schedule. Because you would have beaten a good Stanford team, a good Virginia Tech team, a good Florida State team, a good USC team, a good Michigan team. You know, I mean, I'm trying to look like... I think out of the teams that Notre Dame played, only Ball State, Navy, and Florida State didn't make a bowl game. Right, and who would have seen that coming, honestly? Uh, not Ball State, obviously, but, I mean, Florida State not know, making a bowl USC, game. USC missed a bowl game, too. Yeah, no, USC and Florida State not making a bowl game. Uh, but Ball State, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. But, yeah, those two, that's a huge shock, you know? I'm, I mean, frankly, again, I, I, you can't – you just got to take them at their record, though. They're undefeated and they played the schedule they were given. It, it sucks because it's kind of the same argument that UCF has. But, I mean, they're playing a Power 5 conference. They're playing the toughest teams that they can schedule. It, it just so happens they got lucky this year. And then I think Oklahoma, they made the right call because Oklahoma's only loss was to a team they went back and beat later. I don't know how you feel about the Ohio State situation. I mean, Ohio State's problem is they got blown out by a 6-6 six and six Purdue team. Who then proceeded to get blown out by Auburn in the end of the year. So, yeah, yeah, that's where you look at it and go, well, and that's where your argument to me that's really interesting is when you start diving into a Georgia versus Ohio State argument where Georgia may have had two losses, but are Georgia's two losses better than Ohio State's loss. I mean, I'm biased, so you know where I'm going to stand on the future. Well, yes, I mean, I am too, but that's, I think, where the crux of the argument got to be is, is a bad loss to LSU at LSU by, you know, what we consider a pretty good LSU team, a close loss to Alabama, who we all consider one 
either the best or tied for the best with Clemson. Are those two losses better than an absolute shellacking by a six and six Purdue? Uh, tough call because honestly, though, the other thing is you got to take into consideration Ohio State also played a lot of really good teams and won all of those games. It just so happens their one loss is a really, really ugly loss. <laughs> I mean, who, who, what's Ohio State's best win? Uh, probably Penn State or Michigan, depending on your perspective. They beat Penn State, Michigan State. Who did they get across the way? Was it Iowa? They beat Nebraska and Minnesota. Okay, so yeah, Penn State's probably the best one on the road. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably their best win. Maybe Michigan State on the road. And again, maybe Michigan, but again, we, we've kind of got a bad taste in our mouth for Michigan because they got killed two weeks in a row, or two games in a row. Yeah, so I mean... That's a, it's, it's hard to say. I, I, I can't get over my bias. That's, that's the problem. I, I would always. I mean, same but. Yeah, but I see your point. Regardless, I think they lucked out. They had Oklahoma there and I think it made sense to put them in. So I do think the committee is doing its job. So before, before we get to the big game discussion, the upcoming championship game next Monday, I want to really quickly talk about some additional coaching moves. So I actually talked to you about this this earlier last weekend, and you were kind of surprised by the idea. But Daniel Holgerson to Houston, what what do you think he sees there? I, I don't know if Houston maybe can pay him more if he feels like it's a little easier to win at a place like Houston. That, that might be one of my guesses. You know, they – Although, again, we kind of learned that winning the American isn't necessarily going to get you into the playoff, but Houston usually plays in Oklahoma or a pretty tough team every year that might kind of help set that up. And, I mean, maybe he was just tired of tired of West Virginia. I don't – to me, that seems at, at best a lateral move, and that's really overvaluing Houston. Well, I guess my thought would be – it must be that he's gotten fed up with the fan base because that fan base, you love them when they're behind you, but they can be really raucous when you can't get over the hump. And that's really been Dana's biggest criticism is he can't get over the hump. So I'm wondering if he had issues with the AD or the boosters or some part of the fan base was giving him flack. But yeah, I mean, it really does seem like he just kind of traded one position for another. In fact, if anything, this feels like a step down to me, but maybe a step into something he's more comfortable with. Yeah, I just, again, at the most positive, you know, to like the three Houston fans that listen to this podcast, it's it's a lateral move at best, and I'm almost going to agree with you that it, you know, it may be even a... Yeah, even a even a step down. I'm wanting to check something real quick before I I completely make myself look like a fool. Yeah, so I mean, West Virginia is ranked 27th in terms of school revenue with 110 million dollars a year, and Houston's 56th with 57 million dollars a year. So I highly doubt that Houston 
outbid or was going to be able to pay significantly more than West Virginia. So that one's kind of out the window. I mean, he's he's from Iowa originally, I think, is where Dana Holgerson's from. Um, you know, he, he spent a lot of time with Mike Leach. And so, yeah, he's from Davenport, Iowa. He was the OC quarterbacks coach at Houston from 08 to 09. So maybe he just really loved being at Houston, you know, where he coached Case Keenum. <laughs> I mean, so, an argument can be made that he's moving closer to home, but even still, I mean, that's crazy to think that you give up a great position like West Virginia uh, just to basically move back. But, hey, if that's something that he's comfortable with, if that's something he enjoys, I guess I can't fault him too much. That's his decision to make. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around why Les Miles wanted to go to Kansas, but uh, I, I'm wrapping my head around why Kansas wanted Les Miles. Really? Do you want to go into that? Because honestly, I talk I just, with I, I think that's a terrible hire. I, like, I don't understand. Like the Mac Brown hire at North Carolina makes more sense to me, given the coordinators that Mac has brought in. That Les Miles hire to Kansas just I don't I don't know. I mean, it's I, it's Kansas. I can't wrap my head around it. It's Kansas. They can't get any more desperate. I think it's a big name hire, and I think they, from their perspective, they feel like having a big name like that on staff will draw in more viewers or uh, more uh, fans, theoretically, if nothing else. His his offensive coordinator hire is going to be interesting, too, because he hired Chip Lindsey from Auburn. So it'll be interesting to see what what they really look like offensively next year. I mean, I guarantee you one thing. You're going to see more fans in that stadium than you've seen uh, in the past, like, ten years probably for at least one game. Yeah, until basketball season starts. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, one other thing. Cliff Kingsbury, I guess, is still on the docket because a lot of NFL teams are apparently targeting him as either offensive coordinator or head coach. Uh, do you know anything about this? Because I think he's still at USC, last I heard. Apparently interviewed – interviewing or interviewed with the Cardinals which you know I would be pretty okay with that (laughs) yeah I think the thing we're going to start to see is we're going to start to see the NFL look more towards guys like Kingsbury guys like um, Lincoln Riley because it'll allow Kind of like Sean McVay's done in L.A., even kind of what you saw in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield is where if you bring in coaches that mesh well with the quarterback talent you have, you're going to have a chance to be more successful than trying to bring in a coordinator who's going to force the quarterback to play in his system and what he wants to do. An interesting one this year, too, was Cam Newton in Carolina, who even though he was hurt, it was interesting to see what Norv Turner kind of adjusted his offense to fit Cam and to fit Christian McCaffrey. And I think you're getting to the point in the NFL where hopefully coaches are more willing to tweak systems to fit players and not as much try to shoehorn players into systems. That would be interesting to see. It would also open up the systems a lot more for players um... – trying to think of a good comparison this year but i mean lamar jackson would be a good example last year and hey look look at the success that he's having with the ravens yeah. i mean it's that's a great example right there so you know 
players like that, players like an RG3 who would probably thrive more now given a chance in a offense that fits his style rather than running a pro style. Yeah, right. I think I think I think Sean McVay in, in LA has been the big one. Sean McVay and then um although he's he's been recently fired was Steve Filippo and Frank Reich in uh Philadelphia. Although Reich's had some I mean Reich took the uh I think he's the Colts head coach. I think he took he's the one that took the Colts to the playoffs this year. I <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about the Colts making it. I guess I'm happy that Andrew Luck gets the opportunity. I don't know that that team deserved to be in the playoffs. <laughs> well, the crazy part is they finally – A, Andrew Luck is healthy. And B, they've been able to protect him. You know, they invested their first-round pick on Quentin Nelson, who has been unbelievable. I mean, Nelson – you want to watch a, a young guard with great technique, go watch Quentin Nelson of the Colts. I mean, he's a guy that uses his body, is able to to play with good leverage, and just is a fun guy to watch. I mean, I wouldn't even know what to look for, but I'll have to keep an eye on him when they get beat by the Texans. Uh Really quick, again, before we get into the game, do you hear any more whispers? There are a ton of openings in the NFL. Do you hear any whispers about college coaches potentially going, ending up in NFL coaching spots? Um, there were rumors about Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern. I think the Browns job, maybe. Uh, you always hear Lincoln Riley, but I think he just signed a contract extension at Oklahoma. I don't see why uh, he Fitzgerald would leave. Um, what about Lovey? What about Lovey Smith? I mean, he hasn't been very good at Illinois. <laughs> I mean, maybe he would like having the chance to get back into the pros. I don't. You never know. Uh, but anyway, all right. So let's get down to it. This is the topic that's probably really hard to cover, just because. I don't. Not much sets these two teams apart. Clemson and Alabama—they're meeting up in the national championship game on Monday. It'll be a great end to a great football season. But it's really hard for me to pinpoint what the difference is between these two teams. They're very similar in pretty much every aspect of the game. The key differences would be Clemson's got a better D line, and Alabama's got Tua Tagovailoa who I finally pronounced his name correctly, thank goodness. Um, I just don't know other than that uh, what to look for because they're both very deep. They're both very talented on defense. Uh, Statistically, I think they're top one and top two defenses in the country. They both have really good offenses, great at running the ball, great at scrambling and throwing the ball with their quarterbacks. I mean, they're pretty much identical. I don't... I don't know what sets them apart. Andrew, you're, uh, you've got a better eye for these things. What can you tell me going into this matchup? What are you going to be looking for? The, the two big places that I'm really going to try to watch is the Clemson secondary, which struggled mightily against South Carolina. And, and a South Carolina team and a Jake Bentley, who we've kind of seen isn't that great. Clemson gave up a ton of yards and a ton of plays 
So it'll be interesting to see what the Clemson defensive line can do versus that really good Alabama offensive line. Because if Alabama's able to protect, especially able to establish the run game, that's going to set up for a long day for that Clemson secondary. And I'm not sure if Clemson's going to be able to make enough to do anything there. On the other side, it's it's kind of what I talked about, that Clemson defensive line against that Alabama offensive line, too, is is who's going to win that battle. In terms of the Alabama offense, again, it's I think it come down, comes back down to the offensive line of Clemson. Because, again, Alabama, not as big-named and heraldy as, you know, the Power Rangers defensive line at Clemson. But, you know, I mean, Quentin Williams is going to be a first-round pick. Everyone knows it. You know, the other guys, Alabama's always had just such great players on the defensive line. And so that'll be kind of, can the Clemson offensive line keep Trevor Lawrence upright and give him, buy him enough time to put the ball where he wants to, to throw the ball, as well as, you know, Travis Etienne, the running back for Clemson, is such a great weapon. He's extremely quick. He's got good eyes. He hits the hole well. And it'll be interesting to see if, if that Clemson offensive line is able to really push or open up holes because I'm not sure. And I want to go back and check Clemson's schedule real quick to make sure that I'm not making this up. I don't know if Clemson's played a defensive line even close to this Alabama one. No, I mean, NC State's maybe, but last year's was better. I mean, probably so I probably Boston College was the closest. Maybe NC State. I don't, I'm not even sure, but yeah. I, to your point, I, you're absolutely right. I, the, this is going to be the hardest defensive they defensive team they fought all year. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'm going to go with Bama because it's just hard not to. But Tua looks like a looks like he should have been voted as the Heisman champion. Uh, I. I'm still kind of sour about how that all played out, but what are you going to do? Uh, the defense looked in great against a Oklahoma team that was putting up 50 on teams up to that point. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't see a way that Bama could lose this matchup. Um, also, it's kind of on home turf for them because it's it's in Louisiana, right? I'm not imagining that. Am I? No, it's in. I thought it was in California at Levi's Stadium. Oh, well, never mind then. For some reason, I thought it was in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So, yeah, no, I, it's not really home territory for anybody. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Alabama's going to have the advantage, and obviously Saban's going into this one looking to notch another uh, trophy. So I just don't see a way that Clemson can overcome it. They're given six. They're uh, being given six points, especially, and I think Bama could probably go two touchdowns over them. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you expect this to be a close matchup, in your opinion? I think it's going to be really with Trevor Lawrence, uh, a true freshman playing against Alabama. I think it may it may start close, but I think you may be right. I think Alabama might end up just stepping out with, you know, a, a, a two-touchdown win just because, I mean, Saban's the best defensive coach in the game, and you can prepare Lawrence all you want, and he's a great player, and he's got a great future ahead of him, but he hadn't, he hadn't seen a defense with cats like this before. And 
I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how, you know, does Alabama try to get after him early, hit him a couple of times, you know, get him shaken, or do they just, you know, are they able to stop the run with a five-man box and say, all right, we're just going to play coverage, you know, you've got to find the holes. I, I genuinely, uh, I feel bad until this is kind of a fun one. Cause it's like a best of, uh, best of five situation where the, this is the fourth time in a row. I think these teams are playing over the past four years. So if Clemson wins, it'll be two and two, but I think everybody's expecting Bama to walk away with this one. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see, um, I guess my question becomes: When does Saban eventually retire, and was that was that going to have as an impact on the rest of the college football world? It'll uh, be really interesting because we've we've seen teams after a legend steps down really struggle to find their way. You know, we saw it with Bear Bryant, you saw it with Daryl Royal at Clemson, you saw it with Barry Switzer at Oklahoma. You know, you saw it with. Which Davis, to an extent, at you know that whole run of Erickson, Davis, Schnellenberger at Miami, you, you you saw it with Vince Dooley at Georgia. The only the only school that's really been able to just replace great coach after great coach is Ohio State. You know, I saw somewhere that their past few coaches they haven't fired a coach since like the fifties, or I guess they fired Woody Hayes, but. He did, you know, punch a guy. So that's what's kind of crazy is just looking at how good they've been at hiring coaches. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, Woody Hayes was fired, I think, in 78. And then you had Earl Bruce, who's a Hall of Famer, John Cooper, Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer. It's just it's just crazy how they haven't missed. Well, they should have fired Urban Meyer realistically, but uh, I, you know my stance on that. Uh, that whole thing has kind of turned into a giant mess. So you, you got to wonder who they're going to reel in. And then... Well, they, they gave the job to Ryan Day, who's been on Urban's staff um, for, you know, was hired in 2017 to Urban's staff, and it's been been in a couple of places... You know, apparently it's kind of an up-and-coming-ish, you know, GA at Florida for Urban in 05. So he's kind of, you know, he's been a name that I've heard for a lot of jobs in the past. So it'll be interesting to see what he he's able to do there. Gotcha. That, it should be fun to see. I don't know. And like you said, with legacy coaches, this is really something we talked about last year or last week on our cast. But since you weren't there, I mean, you see in it where a lot of legacy coaches are walking out and teams are going to have to figure out what exactly they're going to do. I mean, I know Kansas State, it wasn't to the same level as a big time program like Ohio State or Alabama. But with Bill Snyder walking out, you're going to have to be like, well, what are we going to do now? Um I can't remember his full name off the top of my head, but the head coach at Ohio is going to have to retire. Frank Zolich is going to have to retire eventually, or he'll just die on the field in a chair. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, when these guys walk out, what are these teams going to do? You can't can't just pick people to step into those roles. 
Yeah, I think the guy that we saw that did it the best was Bob Stoops at Oklahoma. He, he brought Riley in, uh, apparently kind of, you know, allowed him some more freedom and and kind of tutored him pretty well to get him prepared and then just walked away. And so it'll be interesting, you know, when, when Saban inevitably retires, is there a guy on his staff that he, he's kept on staff and been able to keep on staff or does Alabama start to look outside? Obviously, the immediate first name becomes Dabo Sweeney. But I I originally thought that Dabo would leave for Alabama. But what he's done at Clemson and the support he gets at Clemson, you can argue semantics. Alabama's a better job, but it's not – the gap's not as huge as it used to. Well, and I, like we've talked about before, Dabo also has good relationship with everyone at Clemson. And it's kind of the same argument as Saban leaving for the NFL, where it's just like, why would you leave a place where you're essentially a god? Like, you, everyone loves you there, and you just win all the time, and they will give you whatever you want. Why would you leave? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. All right, well, uh, that's about going to wrap us up. Uh, any final thoughts, Andrew, uh, on the upcoming national championship game? I'm excited for it. Um, I really wish it wasn't on a Monday where I had to go to work the next day. But, you know, that just kind of is what it is. But I think it'll be a fun game. I think it'll be exciting. I'll be sad that college football is over. And I'll just, you know, start watching old Temple offensive film to get ready for spring ball. Yeah, I'm expecting to see a lot of hype up about a lot of uh, coverage on from the Rumble Seat about all this Temple game tape. But anyway, until then. We're, we're going to start meeting about that. Until then, uh, thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in. You can check us out at Toe Meets Leather. Uh, send us an email at ToeMeetsLeather at gmail.com or check us out on Twitter at Toe Meets Leather. Until next week, guys, y'all have a good one. Bye-bye.